Hi, welcome back. This is the Schmism. Sorry it's been several months. I uh, recorded these and then just set them aside on my hard drive and didn't want to do it. But hey, they're uh, edited now and they'll be coming back out so you'll get Ireland Part 2 and Ireland Part 3 soon. And then if uh, if you're out there listening to this, I hope there's someone. Uh, and, I'm, and you're one of the people who I've talked to about doing an episode of this show with before. And then you thought, hey, what happened to that? Why did he stop talking about that? Uh, I just got busy with uh, with grad school, so uh, if you still want to do an episode, just uh, send me a message. Uh, I, I have a list, so I'm gonna keep keep cranking them out as uh, as I can, uh, doing my fitting it in amongst my other research and, and, and other things to do. Uh, so yeah, there should be more schmisms coming out. Um, probably probably not great to to make any promises right now, but there will be more. It it's summer. Um, Anyway, this is already too long, so I'm not going to ramble much more, but Ireland, part two and part three, uh, out soon. Enjoy. All right. Hello. Hello. Uh, welcome back to The Schmism, episode, <laughs> I don't know what number, episode 11 or something? Pew, 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 pew. Uh, season two, episode two, Ireland, part two, uh, Nico's back. What's up? Hey, uh, if you're listening to this and uh, you didn't listen to part one, uh, you should go and do that. Uh, although you could just start with this All one. All five hours. Yeah, right. It came out to two hours, which I, I realize is long. Sorry. Um, I should have done this as three parts, and I also should have prepared better and been a little more concise. Oh, well. You can still make it three parts. It's just right? a hobby of mine, all right? Quit complaining. Yeah. People who don't exist, who never send me anything. I would love it if I got complaints, man. I don't get complaints. Fuck your hobby. <laughs> I'll give you complaints right now this entire time. <laughs> if you want me to. Hey, send your complaints to schmisms just... at gmail.com. That's S-C-H-M-I-Z-M-S <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> um, please. Send your complaints to virgiltexas at badfaithpod.com. Is that what they're... They have a domain? No, I have no idea. They, they I don't okay. know. Um, well, that won't be the only incorrect piece of information said today. Standard disclaimer, um, this is a comedy podcast. Uh, back to the show. This is a comedy <laughs> podcast. What did I say? Is this a comedy podcast? I, I do have a, I have a sound drop of that that I slip in a lot. Uh, this is a comedy podcast? Uh, this is a comedy podcast? Uh, this is a comedy podcast? This is a comedy podcast? Oh, oh. Oh man, um, I should say something cooler than that, that one, and then that can be the sound. The uh, the air horn, the elevator music, and the cricket sounds are the ones I use probably the most. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just your your standard uh, soundboard noises. Okay, should I do my version of yeah. uh, just Let's to like do. catch people Let's up? Do a recap, quick recap. Oh. Okay, so this is this is my what I retained from part one and looking at Jacob's notes, and then maybe I didn't retain the end of part one because I was probably I was three beers in at that point. Um, okay, so uh, Ireland is the Pacific Northwest of Europe. <laughs> if it was an island and on the Atlantic, okay? Uh, so way back in the day, before Jesus, 
we got some farmers there they settled there from who knows where or maybe they're just from there anthropology might answer that good at anthropology Um, and then a (laughs) couple centuries later some brits and some europeans started fucking shit up so setting the stage for ireland's part of ireland's tragic history uh gaelic is like a language family and kind of one of the markers of irish identity or that's how i thought of it it's like one of the ways that irish people distinguish themselves from others and irish as it exists now is part of that family it comes from gaelic right is that right yeah i think so uh, if you're a linguist again that email address was listed earlier um okay and then in the fifth century we've got some catholic missionaries and saint patrick kills some snakes in the 12th century yeah that's when england starts trying to fuck around you had some vikings before that maybe Mm -hmm. uh i guess they established dublin is that that was interesting yeah basically like most of the coastal towns were vikings Fucking Vikings. Okay, so uh, you had to have a good navy some... back then in order to to build a town on the coast. Um, yeah, where I where yeah. Faith and I worked in Greece, all the old towns were inland, and all the like new towns were on the coast. And they're like, oh, it didn't make sense to me. And they're like, oh yeah, pirates. I'm like, huh. <laughs> so there were probably uh, some. Uh, there's probably some Norwegian Irish people from way back in the day. Um. So. Uh, the, uh, so the so England's fucking around in the 12th century, and then they find out when they have to retreat to the Pale, and that's a phrase, uh, and that's where the phrase comes from, beyond the Pale. So then there's Henry VIII. Uh, we got some earldoms uh, that the British have around certain parts of Ireland, things like Southeast Ireland. Uh, Henry VIII fights a guy named Thomas, I think, or somebody who's like a vassal of Henry VIII. Thomas loses, uh, and then Henry's named the King of Ireland again, or something. Does that sound yeah, right? Yeah, like Silk and Thomas and, and all that. Um, yeah, all that bit. Um, and then after Henry VIII, there's Elizabeth. Uh, she's really Protestant. Um, she takes land from the Catholics and then gives it to Protestants. That's not really cool. Um, seems like the english royalty don't really fuck with the pope they want to run this town tonight they want to run their own islands Mm -hmm. uh that that's that's right right like a lot of this is like a genuine uh theological reaction against the pope but a lot of it is just like political and based in power and they don't want to have to deal with the vatican as like a competing power is that right yeah yeah for sure Okay, so then, uh, uh, then there's then then there's James, who he's Catholic. Um, he fucks around with some Irish chieftains. Oh wait, is James, James is Protestant, is James? right? No, James this is the, is the first, first James. James. This is a first right. James. So he fucks around with some Irish chieftains, and he's like working with them. But then he screws them, and then they go to Spain, and then they try to overthrow England, uh, and they fail. They're fail sons. Mm-hmm. So the Spanish lose a bunch of ships. Kind yeah, of I, I put that note in like a parenthetical to the first episode, but I, I have the history just off there. The Spanish Armada is a totally separate thing. Um, oh, it is. Yeah. Okay, so never mind. Forget that. Forget this. this forget the Spanish thing. The other thing that just I should remember, tell you, they're a fail son losers. Right. 
The other thing I should tell you, Nico, is that you have don't don't need to worry that about the Willamette Valley being related to the Williamite side of the English okay. uh, Civil War. Oh, it's not because uh, yeah. it's a different thing. I I've looked it up and I don't remember anymore. Willamette is probably just an indigenous word. I think it was, yeah, and it's just like a weird translation or like, you know, what do you cover up? Yeah, we just it? say it similarly, and it's just a coincidence. Mm-hmm. So then there's the, uh, so the English have been fucking around, uh, and then I guess there's a revolution in 6041 where the English find out, but then Cromwell comes along and he's, uh, fucking terrible. He fucking murders a lot of Catholics and Irish folks. Um, uh, yeah, he seemed really bad to me, although it sounds like he's a hero in Northern Ireland for Protestants anyway. Yeah, I think only the most extreme really venerate Cromwell, but yes. There is a statue of okay. him next to the Parliament building in London, too, though. I mean, like, I guess Ugh. I guess he's just, like, it's been long enough. You know, it's like an Attila the Hun kind of thing, or it's like any right. objective measure of this person, you wouldn't think they're a good person, but, so, like, it happened so, too So, but would long. it be right to say that, like, the Orange Order people like Oliver Cromwell? Probably most of them would have a positive opinion of Oliver Cromwell, yeah. I mean, I think the, the governors of the Massachusetts colony and the would have had a good opinion of oliver cromwell you know i don't know like a like a lot of america's founders might have as well uh yeah because you the, a lot of the pilgrims uh were like some of the most wacky protestants yeah <laughs> uh, okay so uh there's charles the second uh so he's um he's after james probably uh in my notes anyway He's supposedly soft on the Irish Catholics. Um, so people don't like that. Protestants don't like that. But then even a- after him, James II is actually Catholic. Uh, and that's bad for him in England because then there's a revolution, overthrows him. Uh, but he's like, nah. So basically there's just a lot of Catholic Protestant back and forth uh, like with the royals, but then also sort of like subsequently um, like uh, between like common people and this is like fomenting this like big division um and so we have the siege of Derry, which is another thing like that um and then there's like i guess these people reenact it still it's cool for them i suppose um protestants did okay there it seemed like uh, and then there was uh this is where my uh this is as far as i got in my summary and this is the the penal laws um i'm calling them the penis laws <laughs> Um, because they both sucked and the English were dicks. Uh, took all Catholic property. Uh, I just, that really stuck out to me because um, it is just like, this is just, it's just significant. Um, so this right. is a severe economic damage to an entire class of people. Right. Anyway that's that's as far as i got what else did i miss from um last yeah so, so then there's like with the french revolution and the american revolution the sort of like liberal uh liberalism enlightenment movements under sort of under like of like the united irishman and wolf tone the, that, right. that whole business yeah. of like trying to unite ireland in like a secular liberal constitutionalist way um with the French, but and so you have both Catholics and Protestants yeah. in that effort. With that, and and that there's like, um, so I mean, sparing a lot of the details and like the the fighting and and various things, basically Wolf Tone rallied um a whole 
thousands of troops from France because he was a friend of Napoleon um, to come and liberate Ireland. Uh, they failed at that, uh, lost that fight, and like all of the conspirators, collaborators, and probably people who weren't were either like tortured, killed, or sent to Australia, or all of the above. Um, nice. Which nice. is kind of where we left off. The the like martial law declared across Wexford, which is Dublin area, and um, mm-hmm. uh, like the eighteen oh three rebellion. Um, the name of that guy I don't have here, but anyway. So yeah, we, we ended with like the with that. So we're at the start of the nineteenth century. Um, we're now in like the modern era, post-industrial, like into the industrial age. Um, sort of, yeah, moving moving toward the present. Right. Cool. All right. So carrying on from there, we'll start. We'll pick. Bada bing, bada boom. That could work. Um, with that, that's a good. Uh good summary for sure again go back and listen to the other episode if you want more details and such thanks thanks dr schmidt <laughs> you're welcome uh yeah a plus that's that's uh yeah we're weighing in on the like should you call uh jill biden a doctor controversy um, <laughs> saying that you should just call yeah. everyone doctor um <laughs> you should call everyone doctor you should call first year uh grad students doctor yeah that seems good. Someone like I do have one friend who's an actual, actually a doctor. Medical? Uh, no, oh, no, no, no. I don't know. Maybe Gifty's a doctor. Yeah. Now my friend Patrick is a doctor. But uh, yeah, no. He got doctor Kevin Glover. Well, Kevin Glover will eventually be a doctor. He got a. You don't. Yeah. You... Well, I mean, it fucking looks like he's a doctor if you look at Whitworth. Today. Yeah, he got a centerfold in Whitworth today. <laughs> yeah and it was all the same picture if i were was Kevin, this... i would be upset that they took this same picture of me over and over again in a white coat yeah. he probably hates it don't they posted the, the same picture of kevin glover wearing nothing but an open lab coat <laughs> that would be sick <laughs> kevin glover just like simultaneously uh just like being successful and somehow also being able to flash whoever he wants people love kevin glover that sprawled out nude on the spokane city blocks with the clock tower behind him oh hell yeah in the (laughs) snow um yeah i i I actually i did tell kevin that i saw his his his, um his article that i don't know if he oh shouts very difficult to tell his tone as to whether he he likes or doesn't like how much attention the alumni association pays to him um <laughs> that's probably true for like kevin in general it's like kind of hard to tell what he thinks about stuff right. <laughs> that's my experience yeah we're not that close yeah. um <laughs> but shouts, shouts to, kevin. to kevin um yeah i i did also refer to his home his beloved home state of nevada as uh, american kyrgyzstan um Something, something I'm, I don't know what this, I don't know what you mean by that. It looks the same. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, so back to Ireland with uh, so we're picking up. And by that you mean there are aliens in both places. There are abandoned Soviet villages dotted about. <laughs> um, in both places. Um, the uh, okay, so starting with the Act of Union of 1801. Um, the Act of Union created the UK. Like so, now we can call it the UK. Uh, the United... Before it was Great Britain. Yes. So, so the Act of Union brought 
like sort of formalized that like parliament in Westminster directly rules over Scotland and Ireland um, and Wales. All of Ireland. All of Ireland at the time, right? right? Yeah. So that dissolved the um, okay. the government in Dublin that was like the predominantly, mm-hmm. or no, the entirely Anglican government. There were no Catholics in that government, I don't think. Um, so okay. it, uh, it allowed for... Oh, but the, the, but in this process of of bringing Ireland under like direct rule, they um also give Catholics the right to vote, not to not to hold office, but to vote. Um, All right. So it's a lot of Protestants opposed, but also supported. You know, like it's kind of an, an interesting. But it, this sounds like the most like democratic party thing to do ever. <laughs> Just sort of rearrange the uh, the 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 org chart. In a way that, like, well, yeah, we'll give you, we'll give you a little bit, <laughs> right? Don't get too excited. You end up, up this. I, I used all of my political capital for this little paltry little breadcrumb for you poor plebes, plebeian little Catholic little guys. Well, the debate over home rule and like my where is Barack Obama? <laughs> but Barack Obama, that, yeah, a proud Irishman um, from <laughs> family Obama. Um, when Falmouth Kearney started out on his long Atlantic crossing, he might have dreamed but hardly imagined that one day his great-great-great-grandson would return as the President of the United States. Hey, man, Joe Biden. I can't do a Joe Biden, same my life. That, uh, I guess it comes from these Irish roots. I'm sorry, I'm totally derailing. <laughs> You're it. good. Um, Go ahead. What are you talking about? Active right, union. so... Uh, Catholic this voting. like um, where Parliament will be located question about like whether Dublin can have its own Parliament or if they need to send people to Westminster is like the political yeah. issue of the 19th century in like a formal sense in like British politics. Um, obviously, there's, there's like th- that and land okay. questions are, are dominate the 19th century. Um, okay. So some Catholics in Ireland see this as like the end of the sort of Protestant ascendancy, Protestant dominance. But others think that, like, um, you know, it's not going to result in that, that it's just going to be the Protestant domination by another name in another system. Um, and so right. the first Catholics to be elected to Parliament uh, immediately form a, uh, a sort of caucus. Well, when did that happen? Uh, almost. There must have been some law passed that allowed them to run for Parliament. Right. That's in the Act of Union. Uh, no, sorry. In the Catholic Relief Act, I think. That was later. Yeah. Okay. So gotcha. they almost immediately form like a, a party. I was going to say a caucus, but this isn't the U.S. This is this is a parliamentary system. So they form a party that's yeah. based around like a repeal and replace of the Act of Union with a, a better system. Um, right. Okay. So yeah, under the Act of Union, they weren't allowed to hold office. Under the Catholic Relief Act of 1829, their Catholics are allowed, now allowed to hold office. That's right. Um, Daniel O'Connell is the first catholic elected to parliament he's a uh, o'connell street the main is the main street in dublin uh that that big mm. statue with the angels and stuff um anyway that's the o'connell yeah. statue oh, okay. um, so he's a big deal um so he was elected he was not allowed to take his seat like they like kept him from it um the protestants uh even though it was technically legal. right anti-catholic forces were were not willing to like hold parliament if he was allowed in um 
I don't want to sit with him. Um, but one of the most prominent anti-Catholics, um, Lord Peel, uh, ends up of uh, of the sketch comedy group. Uh, Lord yeah. Peel. Uh, Lord Peel. Um, <laughs> he writes a bill. He wrote the Catholic Relief Act um, because he saw the like threat of another like wolf tone style invasion right. of, with the help of a Catholic country outside of the UK as a bigger threat than just letting a couple of Catholics join the parliament. Right. Um, again, that's sort of, <laughs> I mean, that's actually all of world history, but I feel like it's especially 19th and 20th yeah, century it's just, history. It's, it's, it's when the smart oppressors realize they should probably hit the release. Valve. Right. Um, which is, which I think raises a lot of questions about like, who's who has what kind of power then i don't know um power's a, a multifaceted thing um all right yeah. so uh, oh along with the catholic uh, relief act um, catholics are allowed to hold office but it, it drastically increased the property requirement so um the in order to vote and hold office so so far fewer people across the uk can now vote or hold office but right, that was a part the of catholic what? relief act <laughs> Oh, so is the cath the rich Catholic Relief right. Act? Um, it also made several types of public gatherings illegal. Like again, this is one of these bills that, like, when you actually look into it, there's there's a lot more bad than good in it. Um, Even though it's called the Catholic Relief, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, this are you saying this didn't establish Catholic relief services? Mm -mm. It did not. <laughs> um, but and that law was not fully repealed until 1983. So um, you have Thatcher to thank for repealing that one. Jesus. Um, <laughs> Thatcher of all people. I think it was like as a result of of pressure from the IRA. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's pretty wild. Um, that 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 famed coalition, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher and the IRA. Well, we're gonna get to Thatcher and the IRA a bit later. Um, really sick collab they yeah. did hot fire um okay so the the o'connell leaves the uh, leads the catholic repeal movement which is like to repeal the catholic relief act to write a more just uh version of it um right okay now moving out of politics and into to to the general field this is we start to have the the irish potato famines um the largest of which is in 1845 um, but there are several. Uh, 1867 is particularly bad as well. I think that might be the or is that or 78. Anyway, I don't know exactly which one is the one when my family left Ireland, but I think it's the yeah. 60s or 80s. Um, the uh, uh, more so many people leave Ireland during the the potato famines that uh, uh, the population has never recovered to the levels it was at pre-1845. Um, Never recovered. Yeah, there's there's still fewer people. I mean, partially it established, like, lines of, of migration. There's right? there's there's still fewer people, people in Ireland than there was in, like, 1880? Uh, than there was in 1840. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> That's really wild. That's crazy. A lot of people died and a lot of people left, but, like, it creates a, a line of migration, right, to where, like, if... If sure. shit gets bad, is bad for you. If you don't have a job in Dublin, like you have an uncle in Australia or the U.S., you know, like yeah. you've got someone else yeah. somewhere to go to. Um, yeah. and this is largely true of Greece as well, um, for different reasons, for mm. the world wars mainly, and then the financial crisis. But 
so the significance of the of the famine right is um it's not just like i mean it is like a massive demographic shift but it is also really um i think it's something it's it's not fully understood just to me like in the same way that the um criminal transportation to australia is really poorly understood by americans mm-hmm. um there was like well like, they, they did crimes and like well, most of the crimes were like um existing <laughs> you know like being homeless or like being poor um like this it's a similar thing so where like people think like oh yeah like there were there weren't enough potatoes or like there were bad potatoes but oh you need to do is question why is it that there was a an island of people whose diet mainly consisted of just potatoes um while also being like the main agricultural region of the uk um Mm -hmm. yeah so the it, it results like the famine is a is a result of the enclosure right it's the fact that um, it's the plant. It's the it's the plantation, right. and this is down the road. So like, there used to be a common, like a communal um, land system. It was replaced by you know a feudal system, and or and um, and so Irish people are generally farming apples, sheep, cows, whatever to be shipped to England, right. not to be consumed by themselves. Um, so at the same time that like uh, so then you get a mold that a potato blight that comes in wipes out the potato crop. The potato blights weren't a big deal in the Americas where there were a lot of varieties of potato, but only a couple varieties of potato were brought back to Europe. Mm-hmm. So potato blights were pretty common across Europe because they they just have like ones you know there's not enough genes to like be resistant to these things. Um, it was just. So like all across Europe, people were starving because of potato blight during these years. It's just in Ireland that it became a, a full society-wide problem because there was such a um, inequality between in their society, right? Because these people were like, you know, you grow what you can to feed yourself on the small piece of the land that you're allowed to eat right. from while spending most of your time working as a shepherd or a farmer to send food off to somewhere else um, to be, you know, for, for the profit of, of the, the absentee landlord. Yeah. When I um, uh, used to read these types of books for school, um, I read um, like inner quote unquote international development books. I read one by Amartya Sen and he basically, he, he says, that there's never been a famine in a place that has genuine democracy. Um, hmm. And yeah, so I think that uh, that, that that point uh, that this only happened because of like the vast inequalities and uh, lack of political rights of so many people is well taken. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, this, is, this is also an era in which like the, I mean, the mid 19th century is like, similar to like the 1970s i suppose um like a high point a high watermark for belief in in laissez-faire belief in like total free market economics mm-hmm. um which is a, a myth i'll say that pretty firmly as a historian like it has never existed and um <laughs> but there are these like epochs in which like that belief really motivates people to like sort of ignore what goes on around them um and so this like sort of proto 
or not proto, um, neo-Smithian way of thinking, but like, you know, two generations post Adam Smith or three, whatever, like is really dominant to the point that like the British government is like, well, we can't intervene. That's not how economics works. Um, there's nothing that we can do to help. <laughs> um, you know, again, stupid, stupid or evil. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the market will figure this out. Um, but uh, there ends up being more help from individuals then rather than any sort of concerted government relief effort or any kind of collective effort. Um, the, the, the collective help comes by from the church. Like the Catholic church does, right. um, you know, help. But um, primarily through the local priests more than, more than through the, the actual like, hierarchy. hierarchies. Yeah. Um, but the United States Senate did attempt to a $500,000 relief bill, mm-hmm. but it was voted down um, because of the war with Mexico. And uh, then one, uh, I had a, in my notes here that a ship full of supplies that was meant to go to resupply troops in Mexico um, was diverted by... Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember. It's not in my notes as to whether or not it was by the captain of that ship or by um, like piracy or whatnot. But there was like a ship of supplies going to the troops in Mexico that was turned to Ireland. Um, Someone has some cojones. I see the church. Oh, and then uh, the Rothschilds. The Rothschild banking family of England. One of the arrows shooting out across the planet. Uh, invigorating everything started a fund in london like a save the irish fund um uh the queen personally don't like queen victoria personally donated uh funds to like help feed the irish but like again no like official act of parliament um at this point does parliament essentially run the government yeah i i mean well i guess it's a less so than today i think that balance has constant has just been shifting in favor of parliament and away from the monarchy steadily since the magna carta but like i think victoria made a lot of her own decisions you know for how the empire would be run but um i really couldn't speak to it don't know the balance of power there um but anyway, so, so this you can understand like, the uh, 1840s are like a really radicalizing moment for Irish people. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where you have the Young Ireland, the Young Ireland movement starts out, and they plot this 1848 rebellion. They think that even Daniel O'Connell is a sellout and a, and a liberal who's not really committed, like doesn't fully understand just how hot big the stakes are, how many people are dying, mm-hmm. um, and there's. So they insist on the use of physical force to achieve independence and land reform. Um, they do tenant organizing and uh, rent strikes all across Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, they, the rebellion that they had been planning, though, ended up uh, being really poorly attended on the, the actual day of, of the uprising. Um, and it's like a few dozen poorly armed guys in Tipperary were very easily defeated by the by the british i think like a decent number of people died in that i don't want to downplay that but it wasn't it wasn't 1798 again 
Um, the leaders of that movement were rounded up and sent to Van Diemen's Land. That's Tasmania. So, um, okay, yeah, the most interesting characters among There's a lot of interesting characters among this, but um, I had to throw this in for the Montana connection. Um, I live in Montana. Oh, Montana. For listeners, um, Thomas uh, Francis Meager, Mar, Thomas Francis Mar, Meager was, uh, was one of the uh, main organizers of the Young Ireland movement. So TFM, so I'll abbreviate it, Thomas Francis Meager, um, he escaped. So he went to, he was sent to Tasmania. He then escaped from his captivity in Tasmania and made his way to New York, <laughs> where he became a, a, a writer and a lecturer. He published his news, two newspapers. And um, so when the U.S. Civil War broke out, he uh, enlisted. He thought like the cause of, of ending slavery was, was one that all true Irishmen should get behind. He's promoted to brigadier general. He leads an Irish battalion in almost every major battle of the Civil War, but at Antietam is where he's he makes his uh, his name. After the war, he's appointed by um, I suppose it'd be by Johnson. Maybe it was by Lincoln. I can't, I don't know the timeline, the date. Um, as a territorial governor of Montana. Yeah, no, it was 1864. So he was appointed territorial governor of Montana by Lincoln, and um, he then mysteriously drowned in the Missouri River near Fort Benton in 1867. Uh, it is strongly, impl- well, it's believed by, by some pretty um, reputable people, including um, uh, Timothy Egan, the yeah. New York Times writer and Seattle-based novelist, um, writer, yeah, Timothy Egan, great, great guy. Uh, he wrote a book a couple of years ago that um, he lays out as part of it his case for Thomas Francis Meager, um, having been killed by the vigilantes, who were the like founders of Montana, the vigilante code, the like their numeric code that they would put on bodies of people that they had lynched, um, is printed on the like state trooper badges in Montana. Um, it's like Jesus. there's a vigilante parade every year in, in Helena. Like they're well, really bad. revered. The actual like first governor of Montana was probably murdered by them <laughs> um, because he was more sympathetic to um, any Irish person. I think he'd like given a pardon to an Irish guy um, the day before he was, the day before he died. Um, why is, what, yeah, right, what's wrong? What, why was that a bad, why was that a problem for the vigilantes? Okay, so um, he, this guy had like, I don't know what happened to the guy. I really should just read his book it's called uh the immortal irishman the irish revolutionary who became an american hero but um there was so this guy had been accused i think of theft and murder in like a, a gambling misunderstanding or something mm-hmm. um mager had him acquit or had him pardoned and then the same day that of the pardon was issued the guy turns up dead with a vigilante um calling card and then like within a week Mager's drowned in the river and all of the newspapers printed it as you know oh stumbling drunk irishman fell off his boat and drowned jesus um and he's the governor yeah. and that's what they're writing <laughs> yeah oh, fuck. um <laughs> yeah pretty uh crazy if you want to know more montana history and you like podcasts listen to death in the west produced by um some great montana journalists and history professors um they talk a lot about the vigilantes in that show and about the Irish um, 
socialists in Butte in the mines. Every time a British ship went down, there was a party in Butte. Okay, uh, other young Irishmen, uh, Sir Charles Duffy wrote a 500-page history of the events of the, the 1848 uprising, formed the League of North and South, Tenants' Union, um, that he tried to unite Catholic and Protestant uh, for land reform. And uh, moving on, there's another outbreak of violence in 1849, uh, mostly, I think it was an Orange Order uh, thing at Dolly's Bray, where 30 Catholic farmers were found dead and their farms were burned. This is a, this is up in Northern Ireland. So Right, yeah. Um, that event was the grounds for banning all public displays by what are cons- to be considered sectarian groups. That's sort of law will be real reinstated several times throughout the next 150 years. Some other this is like also an era of fraternal organizations. I'm just going to run through some of them quickly. Um, the Ancient Order of Hibernians, founded in Ulster, came out of the the Catholic Defenders, which we talked about last episode, um, as a as a counter to the Orange Order. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. branch is still in existence. Started in 1838 in uh, New York. They are the ones who are in charge of the New York City St. Patrick's Day Parade. <laughs> um, they uh, they were organized um, to protect Catholic churches during any kind of civil unrest and uh, organized Irish coal miners in Pennsylvania. Mm. The Molly Maguires, similarly, were like a more violent version of the, with a lot of crossover with the Hibernians. They're agrarian agitators and coal mine radicals. So a lot of Irish were drafted into work in coal mines in Wales and in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, dr- drafted, I think, like, not really drafted. By by economic necessity. <laughs> yeah. The Molly Maguires get their name because they would, like, dress as women when they were, like, going to go and tear up some fences, attack <laughs> the tax collectors or whoever. That's kind of sick. The, yeah. <laughs> Um, I think there's some like encounters between them and like Pinkerton types in the U.S. Um, again, there's a lot of like mining history ends up being really tied in with Irish history, um, especially out in Montana and Pennsylvania. Uh, now, the most important of these groups, uh, I think, toward like later Irish history is the Irish Republican Brotherhood, the IRB, um, and the Fenians. The the they're called the Fenian is like just used to refer to Irish revolutionaries and independent seekers. Mm-hmm. Um, the The word itself comes from a, a legendary hero of Ireland. Um, it's used disparagingly and like as a term of honor. Um, it kind of kind of equally. Mm. Um, so, the the IRB, the Irish Republican Brotherhood, is a secret organization. It's founded by, on St. Patrick's Day in 1858 by John O'Mahony and James Stevens. Uh, they were also leaders of the 1848 rebellion. They're the ones who avoided getting sent to Australia, and they went uh, fled to Paris. Um, the uh, let's see, they published the Irish People's Newspaper, and organized their first big movement was to the Fenians raid and the Rising of 1867. Mm-hmm. So the Rising of 1867 is in Ireland. The Fenian raids are in Canada. Um, group of so after the Civil War, people from that Irish 
battalions that uh, Fran- Thomas Francis Mager was uh, the the general of, like took the the guns that they still had and yeah. instead of returning them yeah. to the armory and going back to work, they like tried to invade Canada. And the, the idea was to like leverage Canada, like returning Canada to the British in exchange for Ireland's <laughs> independence. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't small. Like, it was like an army of like 5,000 people that's that invaded Canada like six times. That's impressive. Those big dreams. Yeah. It was a big sticking point with like um, diplomacy with the US and the UK, where like okay. the UK was like, you know, the, the US didn't do enough to like stop this group stop of 5,000 Irishmen. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Um, but the, the US, on the other hand, has been accused of like, well, I said like they, they, I think historians generally say that they didn't have that much interest in stopping it because the British had supported the Confederates. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, they had like kind of then they'd been buying Confederate cotton the whole time throughout the war. Jesus. Um, and like, haven't you seen National Treasure 2? <laughs> no, I've only seen National, National Treasure 1. <laughs> National Treasure Book of Secrets. Um, one of the main plot points hinges around this letter from Queen Victoria to General Pike. <laughs> from Queen Victoria to the Confederate General Albert Pike. Is General Pike a Confederate general? Yeah, he was like looking for gold in Colorado, apparently, and Queen Victoria told him where to find it. It's the stupidest thing in that movie. Is like, it wasn't like a letter from like, I don't know, like a Lakota scout or something someone who knew where the gold was saying like this is what you're looking for from queen victoria the... it was literally like i found the letter from the queen telling the general where to look for the gold <laughs> like it's i mean like as a kid when that movie came out i remember thinking like why does the queen know where the gold is <laughs> she is royal she has england's connection to the lord when you become king they they give you the like <laughs> the list of all of the biggest mineral deposits in the world <laughs> and the phone god's cell phone number yeah <laughs> um okay so uh oh i also had a note in here just to like so that we're not just universally praising the uh irish catholic independence movements the Irish people in the United States were largely the participants in the 1863 draft riots. That's uh, in New York, where they just brutally murdered a whole bunch of black people in New York. Um, mm. uh, as I was, I don't know, as opposition to the Civil War, um, because they didn't want to be the ones fighting it. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, the idea was that if slaves take, take my jobs, right? Yep. If we free the yeah. slaves, then they're going to come here and take, take all the good Irish take jobs. My jobs. Well, yeah. I mean, it's I mean, it's the rebels or you know the IRB. All these people are uh, they're. I guess it's not surprising. They're all like, uh, why can't I think of? an adverb here just like uh, they're violently nationalistic they're deeply nationalistic so it's that that's that pride sort of isn't surprising that it bled over into racism yeah it 
it uh, is occasionally like it's amongst some members of the groups is very like noble in its motivation, and by others it's like Ireland first and only. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone like Thomas Francis Mager was obviously like enlisted and wrote a whole bunch of essays and like about why every irish person if you believe in irish independence you should also like believe in the end of slavery in america but was um, able to clear make that i mean that connection makes lots of sense to me it's obvious but uh (laughs) yeah it's not necessarily obvious when you're the one uh being oppressed and your your life is shit yeah yeah when you're no longer making money dying in a coal mine instead you're um being handed a rifle and told that you have to walk to south carolina um (laughs) yeah here you go (laughs) to probably um yeah and to maybe get paid yeah um so from that uh the the uprising in ireland this is like these uh flyers start to circulate that that say like all that call out all aristocratic locusts whether english or irish um again not not totally clear the authorship there if it's like a psyop or or not um there's uh let's see attack on irc irc is irish royal constabulary i believe yeah so in 1867 they um attack the the irc barracks across ireland that's like the sort of military police that are the law and order in, in Ireland. Um, they're expecting American reinforcements. Uh, a f- only a small number make it there and are immediately arrested because their plans have been intercepted. Um, and so the uh, Royal Irish Constabulary... Yeah, okay. Sorry, I should have read that a little closer in my notes. But yeah, they, they constab- constables had like in- infiltrated the IRB and knew everything that was going to happen and like... As soon as that was started, people just were being picked off and arrested. Um, so moving on from the violent side of it, the uh, on the legitimate side, we have the Home Rule League. Um, so the movement for Home Rule is to like to create a separate Irish Parliament that can make its own laws for Ireland, but still under the like banner of the British Empire. Um, sort of a step toward independence. Um, and uh, so it's formed formed by a guy named Isaac Butt in 1873. <laughs> um, he's a moderate constitutionalist. I like this. I like this note. Butt is a consummate moderate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a moderate butt. It's a moderate um, butt. It doesn't have terrible diarrhea, nor does it have perfect poops. <laughs> He's a moderate, moderate. A, a number, like a number four on the Bristol stool chart. He's not a one, not a seven. Um, <laughs> I don't know the Bristol stool chart, but I think it has seven. Um, <laughs> I didn't know it exists before this moment. Well, look it up. It gives you a good shorthand for it. For what my poops are like. Yeah. Honestly, I think uh, I think Jess will be happy. I can tell her about it. <laughs> um. Let's see. Uh, so, so he st- so started by Isaac Butt, but it's very quickly like becomes something other than what he would have wanted. I think like um, 
you know, like the, the goal of home rule is a very moderate goal, but I think it's it's joined by a lot of people who are like would have been part of the violent thing, saw that that didn't work, but still want like a radical end goal and now are like joining this like more legitimate political organization, mm-hmm. right? pushing it toward that a more radical direction but a radical like political direction not a violent direction necessarily um enter uh charles parnell so charles parnell is a big figure he's in so many poems and songs um he's like just really universally uh looked at as when i say universally probably not by like orange order people (laughs) or something but like um as, as a gay guy, he's, he's been referred to as the uncrowned king of Ireland. I think the uncrowned king of Ireland phrase was from either Yeats or Joyce. <laughs> anyway, um, so he's a Protestant guy. He's 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 an aristocrat. He's an uh, Anglican and he's uh, American. Well, he's Irish, but like his family had moved back from America, like part of his family. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, his grandfather was a, a close associate of George Washington. Um, he's not, you know, not Catholic. He's had no ties to rebel groups. He, uh, but he doesn't like England. Like his family have, have been opposed to England for a long time. Right. Um, back to fighting with George Washington, fighting alongside George Washington. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, but he's also like he's referred to as the uncrowned king of Ireland because he is like pretty high up in the like line of secession sure. to the british throne um just by family connections um he becomes a sheriff of like the dublin area i think um then a member of parliament and uh at that point he starts agitating for land reform he he like really came into the like radical movement late in cool. his life and was often accused of being like an idiot honestly by a lot of people um and that he just like either was doing this cynically to like score political capital with catholics or that he was like easily swayed by whoever gave him the most passionate speech or whatever um but anyway he uh he then becomes an obstructionist he uh he um forms the land league which is a, a, a clergy movement both catholic and protestant um he was probably a member of the irb never confirmed um and then uh i put in here that oh it's around it's during one of the fa- waves of famine that he really like becomes far more of a of a sectarian and of a uh of a, a land agitator and, and all these things um so he uh oh yeah so he he gets an audience with rutherford hayes the american president um he becomes very popular in the united states um and then in 1881 he ends up being imprisoned um for his opposition to the land act i did a lot of reading a lot not a ton but i spent a while reading about the land act trying to really understand what was going on with like land reform in ireland here um but the Land Act actually did quite a bit for improving farm tenancy amongst like Irish Catholics, but it was a uh, not it wasn't didn't give them ownership of their land. It just like anyway, I'm gonna read what I wrote sure. here 
um, rather than taking forever trying to explain it. But um, uh, so the landing, so so the there's the tenant right of the Ulster system. Basically, there's tons of absentee landlords. The Ulster system was in which people didn't have a formal ownership of the land, but that the tenant who actually farmed it had a significant say over what was, how it was farmed and over who it was sold to, if it was ever sold, who the next tenant would be, how the what the rents would be. Like, there's like this sort of de facto ownership without any formal ownership. Um, the... Uh, so these laws created still a system pay of dual rent, ownership. Though, right? Yes, they're still paying rent. They still don't actually own the land. They still have no right to sell. It still can be sold out from under them. There's just this like kind of coat of honor around not like selling the land and evicting the family on it. That it that's I think it's pretty debated as to how widespread this was. Sure. Um, so this. The Land Act created a dual ownership system, um, which, again, not full outright ownership of the land by the people working it, um, followed by a tenant purchase, which would be backed by the government. Many landlords use the purchase option to exchange their high interest mortgages to the bank for low interest uh, loans from the government. Um, these uh, Yale economists I was reading uh Ganane and Miller argue that purchase, as opposed to sharecropping, did not alter the de facto control of land much or improve the efficiency for the Irish economy. However, for poor farmers, they were very significant and both improved wages for farm labor and increased the amount of food that stayed in Ireland. Still, these programs were not nearly implemented by the time World War I broke out and put a stop to the government spending on land reform. Mm -hmm. So this, uh, there's these like a lot of improvements in terms of these things. This article I was reading was trying to make this this big argument for how it's like wasn't good for the economy. Um, but I don't know. I'm trying to remember why. Um, I have a quote here from that article that I'll just read. <laughs> um, so the land reform did not improve economic efficiency. Is this to say that land reform in Ireland was thus a mistake? No. Quote to show that. The Land Act of 1881 was widely realized on economic grounds. Um, to be either wrong or irrelevant is to miss the whole point. The same can be said for the land purchase program. The land acts in Ireland reflect the outcome of a political struggle, a struggle between landlords and tenants, tenants and their creditors, and between Irish parliamentary representatives and English political parties. Land reform in Ireland accomplished what the people of the day in fact wanted. Nonetheless, it should be kept in mind that within the bounds of its political objectives, a land reform can still be effective economic policy. The Irish reforms missed important opportunities to create real economic benefits. Um, I have a note here that Charles Parnell used land agitation to boost his nationalist position, whereas um, Prime Minister Gladstone used it uh, to prevent an uprising. So... I mean, they're also saying this, that it... Yeah. Uh, it increased wages, though, for mm -hmm. and increased the amount of food that stayed in Ireland. Are they making some sort of technical point about the efficiency of the economy? Yeah, um, that's why I was kind of annoyed with it throughout this. Yeah, whole that's annoying. Reading like it seems yeah. like it was because I just want to know people. like yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess know what they're nutrition. saying is it could have been more. Uh, it could have been more technocratically. Uh, 
or they, from that perspective, it could have been more effective and done more for people. Yeah, I will say I'll link the there'll be a link in the show description to this article. But um, that there were parts of it where I'm like really frustrated by like trying to argue that like, oh, well, like local ownership of the land that people live on won't be run as efficiently in like an economic sense as like the absentee landlords run it. And I'm just like, I don't care. (laughs) They don't earn it. They didn't earn anything like they're living across the sea just taking people's money and food. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, when you're looking at it in the aggregate, when you're looking at the economy in this abstract way, instead of looking at it in, uh, from in a subjective way, which I think is, you know, I mean, obviously, maybe this is just because I'm not an economist and I, I don't know. But I, I just think it is important to just think how it affects like normal people, their normal lives. And it's fine if it's not the most, like, if you're not getting the most bang for your buck, that's fine as long as people have, like, a minimum standard of living and they're okay, you know? It's, it's sort of infuriating yeah. to think about all of these, like, ass-backwards ways that, uh, you know, it's, it's always justified to, like, shit on people a little bit temporarily, you know, supposedly temporarily for the greater good of the entire economy or its success it's it's mm-hmm. it's a bad way of looking at it i don't know yeah and these, these are these like it's this development economics that like is do just just like at what level they're like drawing the metrics or like they're what where there's like the measurement being taken for like whether these programs are successful yeah and is it on the grounds of like do individual people have like dignity and like nutrition <laughs> you know um that seems like a good place to start anyway yeah not like look at how much we've increased the outside investment or like all these things um foreign investment there is no number i could care less about in development per capita gdp is such fucking bullshit it's so stupid it's a terrible fucking indicator of people's welfare it's insane to me that that's the thing we use to compare like economies or like to compare the standard of living between people. That's insane. That's batshit insane. Fucking hate it. It's just, you know, real wages should be the thing. Um, Yeah. And so, so, so um, getting, carrying on with the story just because I know how much more we have, but like the, uh, the land league people were like imprisoned because they were like trying to organize a rent strike after this land act was passed after this act was passed that allowed for like dual ownership and um these like loan exchange credit exchange systems that were mostly being abused like this is before they'd been abused but like would mostly just be abused by like landlords to to reduce their interest and reduce their their um their debt um the uh these guys were like saw that as like the weak shit it was and uh and started to try and organize a rent strike to like push for a a better bill and uh were arrested for it put in kilmainham jail um a jail that figures pretty prominently in the rest of irish history as well but um they uh they were allowed so um 
Parnell wanted full Irish ownership of all Irish land, right? He didn't want an, any absentee landlords. He wanted as a, you must live in Ireland in order to own land in Ireland. That's what he's pushing for. Remember, this guy is like an aristocrat right. too. So um, uh, Michael Davitt, who was part of this group, uh, part of this, they had a party. It is the, I think it's the Irish Parliamentary Party is the name of it. But no, the Home Rule, anyway, it doesn't really matter all that much if I have the right name of the party. There's a guy named Michael Davitt who was part of this who wanted not just only Irish people can own Irish land, but he wanted full nationalization of all Irish agriculture. Like, he was pushing for, you know, he, kind of a was he, Irish Maoism. <laughs> um, was he, yeah, was he pushing for state ownership? I think so. He was pushing for state ownership and, like, a control, a command economy of Irish agriculture. Right. Seeing the, like, devastation of the famines, and I was like, Right. wanting a government in dublin that would direct you know, basically like the way the usda does price controls and stuff i don't know no not necessarily it'd be nationalization not not just um management like that mm-hmm. i don't know anyway um so they made a deal in 1882 to be released from jail um in order to uh let's see on the grounds that he denounced violence and worked to avoid further strife. Um, yeah, that's right. So they they got the only thing they got added to the land acts was that uh, the creation of these like land courts and greater standing for tenant farmers in the courts, um, and they had to denounce violence. Um, the reason that they had to denounce violence is while they were in jail, there was uh, the Phoenix Park murders of 1882. This is where members of the IRB. Um, killed uh, the chief secretary, uh, this is Lord Cavendish, while he was on a visit to Ireland. Um, there, there's a subgroup of the IRB called the Invincibles. Um, that uh, him and like ten other people, like basically like big wigs from from the government, were visiting Dublin and got murdered in the park. Um, Charles Parnell denounced it in order to get out of jail, um, which then sort of gave denouncing the um, I mean, like the fact that there was a big high profile murder right then sort of gave him cover. He used it well to like make a deal with Gladstone, the prime minister, to be like, look, you got to work with us, you know, <laughs> like you you've arrested the wrong people here. Like, <laughs> right. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it certainly gives uh, gives him some leverage. Yeah, <laughs> but at, uh, absent, that, that's a, that's an interesting question. Uh, that's an interesting point. It's an interesting interesting example that could be brought up in a conversation about political violence and its efficacy, because it itself doesn't actually get your group any uh, any legitimacy. It doesn't help you politically. But it might help somebody else who has the same goal, but has moderate tactics. Well, yeah, I, I mean, stay tuned my, on that. My, but that is also US my thought. <laughs> teacher in high school uh, thought made, made that argument about Malcolm X, and he didn't think the civil rights movement would have been effective, well, um, if it weren't for Malcolm X and a more radical strand of Black liberation than MLK. Yeah. I think it's a good point. Yeah. 
I think there's like another layer of complexity to ask about like, well, you know, once the the moderates, do, in the same way that the the radicals provide cover for the, for the like, moder- more moderate radicals, mm-hmm. um, do the do the does making the deal with the like moderate wing of the radical movement provide cover for the status quo? Um, I mean, if, right. If so, like, maybe. Like, but does the fact but that we're we're assuming it's all a radical movement in the first place? These are all radical demands. I mean, I think yeah. that it's it's certainly a sliding scale and relative. But I think if I mean, this is not like it, if we're all talking about nationalizing industry, like all of agriculture. I think we're not like worried about somebody being a neoliberal shill you know yeah <laughs> it's a tactic it's a tactics debate there it seems like pretty clearly yeah i'm but, but my, my my like tactics question then is the like with like using malcolm x and martin luther king as, as the example is like is the fact that um raytheon can put out like a tweet with an mlk quote on it show the other side of that in that like you know that it can cut the other way i don't think that's, we should that's, save this i don't think that's uh that's not the fault of okay mlk yeah. in this movement we'll save this put a pin in that we'll save this for uh i don't know when when are we going down well uh thanks to uh me neglecting to edit this episode for several months you can go back and listen to that full discussion right now. I'm sure I said plenty of things that I uh, uh, regret saying on that. Um, yeah, check out the uh, Political Violence Roundtable. I believe it's called Broken Windows. Anyway, back to Ireland. So uh, Charles Parnell died at the age of 45 of pneumonia. Um, he figures prominently in all of James Joyce's works from uh, Dubliners to... Um, the big one, Ulysses. There we go. Um, at least like in conversations of the characters, they are like, all talking about Parnell. Um, so th- there's a, there's been several like counterfactual histories written of like, but what if Parnell hadn't died of pneumonia? You know, what I would, what it would have been different. Um. Anyway, but we don't know, so we're going off what did happen. Um. In 1898, it passed the Local Government Act, which puts some rural affairs in the hands of, of like, town councils and counties and things in Ireland. Um, uh, okay, culture, back to cultural things and out of politics. Um, there's the Gaelic Revival. So the GAA, that's the Gaelic Athletic Association, is formed, and it really um, is like a site of radicalization. It's like a cover for organizing, um, hurling, Gaelic football, all these like sports, these like traditional Irish sports are they arrange these sports games and a sports game gives you cover for like Yeah. Um, but and and that's that explains the opening scene of the wind that shakes the barley. Yes. Um so Nico and I watched The Wind That Shakes the Barley. Highly recommend that film. We'll probably bring it up a lot in the next section of this uh of this podcast. Um, but that's the movie opens with a hurling match and throughout that's the training sequences is. of I thought it was field yeah. hockey is the same thing similar um, 
my brother was in a hurling team in columbus ohio <laughs> at one point it's but, not uh just getting wasted and then seeing who can have projectile vomit the furthest yeah the hurt the hurling league hurling see, league. see who who boofs first um just to double down on the irish stereotype yeah uh oh, i'm sure they did both um <laughs> let's see so the part of this also is like read like reviving the irish language like a lot of people speak it but like writing poetry in irish and these things um there's a big debate between uh, w.e.b yates and others about the language yates famously like insisted that irish culture is strong enough to be expressed in any language mm -hmm. um others argue that like you can't express the your oppression in the language of your oppressor um uh yeah joyce james joyce however like really distanced himself from all these political things although he was like an admirer of charles parnell but he um he he ends up living in paris for like the whole irish independence and civil war and everything mm. um never returns to ireland after he leaves for paris really um yeah um other significant figures um so dp moran she was a big supporter of the writing in Irish. Um, George Bernard Shaw, Irish nationalist. Oscar Wilde, I don't think was much of an... I don't know as much about his. I think he might have been also somewhat of an Irish nationalist. Um, he certainly didn't like the British government um, with regard to uh, criminalizing homosexuality. Um, and... Okay, and now we turn from culture to economics for a bit. The Titanic, so shipbuilding is a major industry, uh, really makes dub, uh, Belfast into the, the city it is. Um, there, a lot of the major shipyards, though, are not allowed to be, there's no Catholics employed in shipyards. Um, others, there's like, there's like a tax between the like Protestant Union and the Catholic Union in the shipyards. Um, there's people there today still joke that, uh, um, the Titanic was built by Irishmen, but sunk by an English pilot, sunk by an English <laughs> captain. Pick up, you bastard! Is there anyone there? Yes. Iceberg, right ahead! You'll see the Titanic used as like a unionist symbol, though. Like, so in the in the way that like painting uh, in like a, a real shitty neighborhood in Belfast, you might see a painting of a UVF guy with a ski mask on and, and an ak-47 in his hand and then in like a nicer unionist neighborhood you'll see a painting of the titanic with like you know working men building it and like <laughs> they're kind of supporting similar politics but like tourists like like their mural tours in belfast and tourists like looking at the murals of the of the the tough guys building the ship yeah <laughs> <laughs> not the like um drug dealer slash um cop killer guys that were <laughs> out building bombs in their garage <laughs> but for sure <laughs> <That's surprising. laughs> but yeah it, i mean it's weird because like people are just proud of building the titanic there like you can be just proud of the industry in your city but the like line the, the like memorialization of it is like 
somewhat tied up in the sectarianism. Um, let's see. So, okay, this is my favorite chapter of this that isn't always part of the story. Um, so the night, so this we're going to talk about the 1913 lockout and then bring it straight into the, the Easter Rising. The Easter Rising usually gets the focus. The lockout is also really important. Um, so to really set the scene in Dublin. So home rule had passed in 1912, but it was put on hold by because of the of the war. So, um, but because home rule passed 1912, the Ulster Volunteers were formed. Immediately, 500,000 people signed up, and they signed this Ulster Covenant, which like swore to defend Ireland's um, position as a part of the full member of the British Empire and all this stuff. Um, uh, I have. So, a link that what is that link oh you should click on that link it's just a cartoon okay so are the ulster volunteers uh the equivalent of uh what is his name Cillian murphy's brother in like at the uh, end no. of the wind that shakes the barley no they're um ulster volunteers are like well the ulster volunteers is also the same name as the like paramilitary group in the troubles they're they're a a protestant uh, unionist like their orange order affiliated okay so the, so people day boys the, these people are they're opposed to um uh ireland being a free state and home rule right right okay so that um, okay that, right after home rule was passed then people are like nah fuck this shit this can't happen we don't like this we want to be a part of the uk did you see that link there? Yeah, I did. That I really like the the uh, the Gulf of Socialism that's marked as <laughs> Ireland's drifting away into the Gulf of Socialism. Wait, really? Where's the <laughs> poverty, prosperity, poverty? Maynooth? What's that land league? The Gulf of Socialism. Crossing the liberal straits into the Gulf of Socialism. They're gonna, they're um, gonna hit the Home Rule rocks, which like there's mm -hmm. actually nothing there. So shitty cartoon, idiot. <laughs> um, okay, so setting this, that's the scene up north. That's like the Belfast um, situation. Is that like when when Home Rule passes? I immediately you wonder like, why Northern Ireland is a prosperity province. Like, are you that fucking thick-headed to wonder why? You fucking stupid asses. <laughs> I mean, they got the shipyards. They've got, uh... yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and uh, the uh, benefit of sucking up to the largest empire in the world. All right. I mean, we were talking about like that, the like policy of like de facto uh, land ownership thing is, is called the Ulster Rule or like the Ulster system, yeah. right? It was like. Well, in the nor in Northern Ireland, the farmers and the landlords don't seem to have trouble getting along. Um, <laughs> it's like, well, maybe because there's other so things, there's going, things on. going on there. There's less division there. Yeah. Um, so in Dublin, the infant mortality rate among the poor was 142 per thousand births. This is more than 10. There's a 14 percent infant mortality rate. Um, Jesus. Dublin is one of the poorest cities in all of Europe at this time. Um, it's, uh, there's some links there to some James Connolly quotes. So um, 
this is this is uh, the rise of James Connolly and, and Jim Larkin. These are they're union organizers um, in Dublin, um, radical socialist union organizers. Um, the Nico, you can read some of those quotes okay. from James Connolly that I picked there from from the from his Twitter account. <laughs> so there's someone who just posts James Connolly quotes like like the you know. Debs one. Um, Connolly and Debs were um, big fans of each other. Right. Okay. You can go ahead and read. All right. It is not this attitude, symbolic of the church for hundreds of years. Is it? Okay. Is not this attitude, symbolic of the church for hundreds of years, ever counseling humility, but sitting in the seats of the mighty, ever patching up the diseased and broken wrecks of an unjust social system, but blessing the system which made the wrecks and spread the disease? It's a good one. Yeah. Classic. Uh, therefore, we repeat, state ownership and control is not necessarily socialism. If it were, then the army, the navy, the police, the judges, the gaolers, what is that, the gaolers? The jailers. The jailers, gotcha. The gaolers, um, yeah. the infarmers, and the hangmen, all would be socialist functionaries. I, is that good? Did I do an Irish accent okay? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> you don't think um. so? I don't know what it was, but maybe it was Irish. Um, Fuck. <laughs> um, I like. I think I put that one in there because I state ownership and control is not necessarily socialism. That's that was pretty good. That's pretty okay, good. Okay, thanks. All right. I, I there was a there was a guy, an Irish guy, that came into work the other day, and uh, and I thought he was Scottish, and I felt very embarrassed because he was from Dublin. Um, <laughs> And so I, I've taken it upon myself to like learn the difference between different accents in uh, the UK, uh, but Ireland is of course not a part of the UK these days. The the last time that you and I were at a bar pre-pandemic um, in Portland, there was a guy from Manchester, I think. Uh-huh. Maybe he wasn't from Manchester. I don't know. There was a British guy that I talked to for a while before you were off work, and. I, and he asked me like to guess where he was from, and I I thought he was from Scotland, and he was so upset. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, hilarious! Where were we? Um, uh, the bar that's near your work. I don't know. I think I was just there reading and having a beer, and then while you shit, were at work. Shit! 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 I can't remember this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. just uh, uh, the McMinimins there. Yeah, oh, yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. That was last winter, right? Yep, that was after getting back from Nevada. Nevada. Um, okay, yeah. cool. Um, um, I like this I bit, this point a lot because, yeah, because uh, we are like an hour and fifteen minutes into this, and I actually have to open tomorrow. Okay. Um, and I know this is a terrible. We maybe we can find a stopping point here. You can okay. cut this. Um, I'm sorry, I can't keep going. Okay. But let's uh, things to do before I go to bed. Yeah. How much time could you? Fifteen minutes. Okay. Cool. Let's do the lockout and the Easter rising. Okay. If we can. Sweet. Um. Okay. Sweet. Um. James Connolly. So you get the sense of James Connolly as a as a socialist and a socialist thinker. Um. 
I'll read this other one. This is, socialism will not make us angels upon earth. It will only put a premium upon our better qualities instead of our baser, as is done by capitalism today. And that itself, that itself would be worth a revolution to realize, or a thousand revolutions. Um, Get it, boy. Yeah, our demands are moderate. We only want the earth. Um, <laughs> so these, <laughs> these two, Larkin and Connolly, are syndicalist, socialist, labor agitators and organizers. Um, Larkin was part of the Dock Workers uh, Union in, in Liverpool in 1907, Belfast 1908, uh, Liverpool in 1911. That's when Winston Churchill was the uh, li- the director of the Home Office, minister, Home Minister, whatever. Um, he called in the troops and had people just shot for all of the transportation strike in 1911 in Liverpool. Um, cool. So, yeah, station. He, so his tactics get get reused. I mean, he's in charge for Churchill's in charge for most of the rest of this. He, oh, um, yeah, yeah. He Churchill had them like just drive a. Not... Churchill gets made into a hero in the states because of World War II, and that's sort of unfortunate. Yeah, because before that, he was the guy whose idea it was to just um, put a gunship uh, at the docks and just start shooting at the dock workers until they gave up. Yeah, sorry, I should have, I'm going to amend my sort of unfortunate and say it's extremely terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so these two guys, they found the, the ITGWU, that uh, Irish Transit um, something workers union, um, uh, and then it's, mili- it's like paramilitary wing is the Irish Citizens Army. Um, they use the Ulster Red Hand as a logo, which is cool. Uh, you were asking before, like, why is the red hand the the fascist guys? Um, it was used by the socialists at this time. Um, so, uh, what kicks off the lockouts? 1913, the owner of the Dublin Tramway Company, William Martin Murphy, uh, fired 300 workers for being members or suspected members of the ITGWU. Um, all 300 employees joined together. That employers, sorry, 300 employers across Dublin joined together in a lockout familiar with a lockout it's 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 a capital strike it's the reverse of a strike oh, right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right so they so they just fire if they, there's unions being organized and so they fire everybody and just hire scabs from elsewhere yeah, in yeah. ireland um guinness brewing refuses to join the list the huge list of companies that lock people out so they um they're the good ones uh <laughs> as but, far as uh, employers go yeah they, they don't allow for a sympathetic strike like uh but they but they don't fire their workers um so the church and the, uh, the hibernians um they uh end up blocking a plan that the union had to like send union members kids to other union families outside of dublin so that their parents could keep picketing and organizing um but thinking that they're going to turn all the kids into atheists, Marxists, um, <laughs> the um, the uh, what ends up happening in August of 1913 is uh, the I think why did I say second? This is the really one of many bloody Sundays that will uh, dot the 20th century of Irish history. So um, the police end up charging the uh, picket lines and just start beating the hell out of people, um, beating multiple people to death with clubs. Uh, there's a woman who was shot in the back by a scab at the at her workplace. Um, and Jim Larkin ends up addressing Jesus. the crowd from a balcony 
um, and there's a statue of him with his hands in the air in Dublin around that spot. It has this quote that says, the great only appear great because we are on our knees. Let us rise. Um, the lockout carries on for seven months before the workers are, a lot of them join the army for a job uh, and the, the employers really end up winning uh, They this, uh, this long standoff. The ITGWU really um, like goes by the wayside as a result. Um, William Butler Yeats wrote a, an elegy to the September 1913 uh, as during the lockout saying, what is it for the wild geese spread the gray wing upon every tide for this is that all the blood was shed for this Edward Fitzgerald died and Robert Emmett and Wolf Tone and all the delirium of the brave romantic Ireland's dead and gone with the with O'Leary in the grave. Fucking sad as fuck. Yeah. I had some other details about Jim Larkin just uh um he doesn't end up being part of the irish independence because he's at he moves to the united states um he spent years in jail in the united states for uh anarchist stuff um planning murders and things probably um he did eventually get back to ireland formed a communist party and managed to be elected to irish parliament um uh, let's see george bernard shaw described him as the greatest irishman since parnell and uh, James Connolly described him as a man of genius, splendid vitality, great in his conceptions, magnificent in his courage. But I should also note that in his later life, while uh, he spent fighting the church primarily, uh, along with fighting some of his fellow comrades, and especially the Germans and the Russians among them, as well as making a lot of anti-Semitic statements. So I don't want to say purely just a sympathetic figure, um, but for most of his life, a pretty cool guy. The, with the lockout sort of ending, uh, the World War One starts around the same time, right? Um, the uh, war with Germany uh, really like puts all other things on hold, um, but poverty in Dublin area is still like on the rise, and and even more so because resources are being diverted diverted for the war. Um, mm -hmm. Irish are being Irish people are are fighting in larger numbers than other members of the empire um let's see i don't think i need to bring those guys in here okay uh so in 1916 the irish nationalist irish volunteers a lot of people with um ties to the, uh, with with training from that irish citizen army the like militant wing of the of the union um end up plotting this uprising against the british trying to uh, to push for independence um so there's about 1500 people they use the opportunity of a of having that the officer corps, the like people that would be the military police in Dublin, are off in in Belgium, Germany, wherever, um, France, to uh, to gather weapons and start a stage a rebellion. The leaders of this are people like James Connolly and and others, uh, uh, mostly school teachers and poets. Um, but they get a lot of guns from Germany. The uh, Ulster Volunteers who well, opposed to them also had guns from Germany. Germany is just willing to give extra weapons to people who are going to cause trouble for the British at this time. Um, and on Easter 1916, they um, staged a rebellion at the post office, the GPO in Dublin, and they hold on to it as their sort of base of operation for about six days. They Patrick Pierce, one of the leaders, declares the Poblach Naherin, which uh, is this statement of independence from England. He says, 
Irishmen and Irishwomen, in the name of God and of the dead generations from which she receives her old tradition of nationhood, Ireland, through us, summons her children to her flag and strikes for her freedom. Having organized and trained her manhood through her secret revolutionary organization, the Irish Republican Brotherhood, and through her open military organizations, the Irish Volunteers, and the Irish Citizen Army, having patiently perfected her discipline, having resolutely waited for the right moment to reveal itself, she now seizes that moment, and supported by her exiled children in America and by gallant allies in Europe, but relying in the first on her own strength, she strikes in full confidence of victory. We declare the right of the people of Ireland to the ownership of Ireland and to the unfettered control of Irish destinies, to be sovereign and indefeasible. The long usurpation of that right by a foreign people and government has not extinguished the right, nor can it ever be extinguished except by the destruction of the Irish people. In every generation, the Irish people have asserted their right to national freedom and sovereignty. Six times during the past 300 years, they have asserted it in arms. Standing on that fundamental right, and again asserting it in arms in the face of the world, we hereby proclaim the Irish Republic as a sovereign, independent state, and we pledge our lives and the lives of our comrades in arms to the cause of its freedom, of its welfare, and of its exaltation among the nations. The Irish Republic is entitled to and hereby claims the allegiance of every Irishman and Irishwoman. The Republic guarantees religious and civil liberty, equal rights and equal opportunities to all its citizens, and declares its resolve to pursue the happiness and prosperity of the whole nation and of all its parts, cherishing all the children of the nation equally and oblivious of the differences carefully fostered by an alien government, which, we, which have divided a minority from the majority in the past. Until our arms have brought the opportune moment for the establishment of a permanent national government, representative of the whole people of Ireland, and elected by the suffrages of all her men and women, the provisional government, hereby constituted, will administer the civil and military affairs of the Republic, in trust for the people. We place the cause of the Irish Republic under the protection of the Most High God, whose blessing we invoke upon our arms, and we pray that no one who serves that cause will dishonor it by cowardice, inhumanity, or rapine. In this supreme hour, the Irish nation must, by its valor and discipline, and by the readiness of its children to sacrifice themselves for the common good, prove itself worthy of the august destiny to which it is called. The British respond with overwhelming force, saying, like, no tolerance for this sort of thing. They, a gunship pulls up the Liffey, the river in Dublin, Starts just shelling the entire block where they're hold us. So yeah, 500 people are killed. Half of the people killed are civilians with no involvement in this at all. Um, a lot of uh, nationalists weren't really stoked about this. They thought they weren't prepared. They thought they right. were, you know, like guaranteed to fail. But after the British responded so, you know, disproportionately, um, it rallied just a ton of more people to the movement for independence mm -hmm. uh, like we don't want to be part of an empire that's willing to just shell its civilians um so the main plotters are arrested along with hundreds of suspected co-conspirators um they issue about 90 death sentences most of those are reduced to life sentences um 16 people end up 
facing execution for um the for this it, they're brought up in the in the songs uh that i'll play some of that music in this episode but uh uh the leaders of 16 but james Connolly is executed eugene debs uh give public writes a eulogy in the socialist paper that he was writing for at the time um michael mallon fine founder of the irish socialist party is executed constance markowitz um first woman ever elected to parliament was sentenced to death but not executed um she ends up serving for a few years and i think is eventually released um joseph plunkett i he uh uh i think a cousin of horace plunkett who was part of the land reform movement um he was engaged he had his wedding in his jail cell seven hours before his execution um all in all 1800 people including uh michael collins who would go on to lead um the ira during the irish anglo-irish war Mm. um were sent to internment camps in wales that were set up um eamon de valera who was part of organizing this but and would uh, eventually become the president of an independent ireland um escaped uh execution because he had dual citizenship in the united states uh and he ends up leaving to go to the united states um during this time which to raise support for independence again a yates poem um too long a sacrifice can make a stone of the heart oh when may it suffice that is heaven's part our part to murmur name upon name as a mother names her child when sleep at last has come on limbs that run had run wild we know their dream enough to know they dreamed and are dead and what of excess what if excess of love bewildered them till they died so um yeah that's that's brings us to 1916 where we'll pick up with uh independence civil war and the troubles um y- yates is his it's uh it's melancholy it's like eerie mm-hmm. um, and what if excess of love bewildered them I, it's he's yeah is it it's almost like the first one uh was so sad it's like almost that he's not sympathetic to the cause but uh this one Mm. uh sort of like punctuates his uh the love that he thinks that uh, they have for ireland Mm. seems like yeah the uh the old love and the new that that's the the win the shakes of barley song it's like I feel like there's a lot of that in like the the more mournful Irish um, rebel music. In this is this like refrain of like knowing that you're going to die, knowing that it probably won't succeed, but like you have to do it. Hmm. I don't know. That's like really baked into the Irish nationalism yeah. for a long time. Is the like idea that it's doomed to fail but worth doing? That like. James Connolly's name like the worth a revolution to realize, or even a thousand revolutions. Yeah. 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 When I think yeah. about that stuff, it's just Ed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's too heavy. It's like I don't blame anyone who said I don't want to do that. 
thanks for listening to Ireland with Nico part two. Uh, we'll be back with part three soon. Sorry, this took several months for me to bother to edit. Um, and that they're so long-winded. But, hey, there's a lot to talk about here. And uh, you, now you have the full context to get into the troubles of the 20th century. And uh, wouldn't you know it, on the next episode, uh, we still have to cut a whole lot short because there's just too much there. Um, anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, the Schmism's back, at least briefly. This podcast is going to be fairly infrequent so long as I'm also in grad school. But hey, uh, what can you do?
Uh, yeah, you should fix that, uh, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, Larry Google. Fucking Peter oh. Thiel, whoever's in charge of the Google. <laughs>